<laughs> All right, good morning. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, you are a good God. We don't have to ever wonder about whether you're good or not. You are absolutely good, absolutely all of the time. And so we can rest in that, trust in that, and know, Lord, that you, your plans for our lives are so much bigger than what we think. You've got so much more for us that we just need to tap into. So I ask you, Father, to open our eyes today to look at this person, Rahab, and to, to hear about her life and to hear what you do through someone like her. And give us that hope, Lord, for the days ahead. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 for a little while. And we're still there, still in Hebrews 11. Um, but it's, it's not just a bedtime story, okay? And I'm, not gonna, I'm basically going to read you a story today, two whole chapters. So I'll be watching to see if you're awake or not. I'm a teacher, been a teacher for a long time, but, but it's, it's an exciting story, and it's got some crazy twists and turns to it, and I think you're going to be really, really, really blessed. But first, let's read in Hebrews 11, and then we're going to go over to Joshua chapter 2. So if you want to get those ready to go, and I think it'll be up here as well. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, you might not have a clue about what that's about, but that's why I'm here today. I'm the teacher. I'm going to do that. And I want to just focus on what, the, before we read the next part, I just want to focus on what the setting is for this story, this account. Um, we had been talking about Moses. He led the people out of Egypt, all, Egypt, all that, the, the Red Sea, all that. But Moses died without getting to go into the promised land. But he already had his replacement, Joshua. Now we have a new character, Joshua, ready to lead. And Joshua knew that God's commandment was to drive out every single person in Canaan, basically, in this promised land. That was, he had to drive out the people, he had to destroy their idols and the worship centers. Um, and then the Lord said, take possession of this land. This is your land now. This is the land I've given to you. How many of you know that if God gives you something, it's yours? But sometimes you have to possess it, right? You gotta, if you don't live there, you can have this ritzy place. If you don't live there, it's not like you're really enjoying it. But he said, go take possession. But he gave them a warning as well that if they didn't drive out the inhabitants, they would be like barbs in their eyes and thorns in their flesh, and that he would bring on the Israelites all the trouble he would have brought on the enemy. So that, I mean, this is kind of a serious thing. I mean, they can't just not do it. Um, and then um, Joshua had to be ready to go. And so it was now's the time for Joshua to lead those millions of Israelites across the Jordan River to the Promised Land. And the thing is, right across the river is the city of Jericho, known for uh, loyalties to the Pharaoh, the bad guy, right? Isn't the Pharaoh the bad? So this Jericho had loyalties there. They had cultic practices, including human sacrifice. This was not God's favorite town. Uh, what they did was wrong. And it was also an agricultural center and on a very strategic route, so route it, that means there's money there. 
This, is a this was a, a place that had a lot of benefits um, for this kingdom, for the kingdom. But let's read this. This is over in Joshua. This is the time for the spies to go out. Joshua knew he wanted to take, the, he had to take the city, but he set, decided to send some spies in first. So Joshua 2, starting with verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now that might seem really weird, but we know from context and culture that prostitutes would also be innkeepers. They would also have a hotel. And so that it kind of makes sense in this story. Verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king has heard. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman, Rahab, had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that led to the, the fords of the river, of the Jordan River. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, listen, <laughs> I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you, because of the Israelites, because of what God had done. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when, when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. And this is how the men replied. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us a land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for which, for the house lived in the part of the city wall, of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Remember, they weren't going to the Jordan River. Uh, hide yourself there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through, window through which you let us down. So that would have been visible outside the wall then. Um, and, unless you, and, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell them what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, 
she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. I love their faith statements. Okay, now we're going to skip through a few chapters. We're going over to Joshua 6. So in between, there's some stuff happening. We're not going into all that. But just know some time has elapsed here. I don't even know how much time. I didn't study that. But some time has elapsed. But remember, she put that cord out right away. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. They were afraid. Then the Lord said to Joshua... See, I love this. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. <laughs> God has so much faith. Look at I've, I've delivered you. <laughs> Did he, it doesn't look like it yet, but this is the way God is. He has this faith. I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. Now, here's an interesting thing I found out in my studying this week. They basically put a half a mile between them and the ark. The presence of God was in this box, basically. And the, the Bible's clearly said what it's all about, but that is where the presence of God resided. Remember, Jesus hadn't come yet to allow him to live in us. And so, you know, half a mile every direction. So the, uh, the enemy recognized, whoa, that's, we, that's where we got to stay away from, that box. <laughs> And it also puts something in the people, too. This is the presence of the Lord, just that reverence and that kind of thing. All right. Um, and actually, I'm going to probably skip a little bit because they've already said what they're going to do. Uh, verse 10, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the, Lord I t the, until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the Ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once, and then they returned to camp. And they got up the next day, verse 12, they got up the next day and did the same thing. The seven priests, verse 13, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord, blowing the trumpets, the armed men, the rear guard following the Ark, while the trumpets kept sounding. The second day, verse 14, the second day they marched around the city once and went back to camp. They did this for six days, so they went around once each time. And this is what I believe about that. Because why, would he, why did he need did God, you know, did he, was God building up his faith? Was he trying to get a power enough to do this? Why was he doing this? I believe part of it was to announce the presence of God and his people, but also to give the people a chance to repent, join God's side. It's always better to surrender God than to fight with him, Right? always better to surrender to God than fight with him. 
And we know in Hebrews, when it talks about this, it says that the people of Jericho were disobedient. So they knew. God gave them that chance, and they disobeyed that. He always provides a way of escape for us. Now, we're, verse 15, we're on the seventh day. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Okay, so now they know something's different. They're not just doing this once, because this is happening for a while. They're not just doing this once. Something's, that gave Rahab's family time to get into their place. They knew, oh, something different today. Um, and to get, remember, because they had to be in that, in that house, or they were not going to get saved. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. Later we find out that along the way people would steal that and it was not pretty for them. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the, loud, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword everything in it. Men and women, young, old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young man who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and then put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. They took care of the silver and gold. But in verse 25, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. The first thing I want to talk about is, and it's an obvious thing, the Lord calls the unlikely to faith. And part of this is, um, in Isaiah, it talks about how God sees the end from the beginning. At the beginning, he sees the end. He saw the end of Rahab. He didn't just look at where she was at that moment. He calls those things that aren't as if they already are. That's the faith of God. That's the faith he asks us to have. He asks us to have the faith of God. He's not limited by where we are at the moment. He's calling us from the place we are at to the place he wants us to go. He doesn't wait for our ducks to get lined up. He's not waiting for your ducks. Who's waiting for the ducks? We're waiting for the ducks to line up in our life, and then we're going to do something, right? He's not waiting for any ducks. He's got it all figured out. He calls us where we are. I mean, we see this over and over. The Lord promises a son to Abraham and Sarah, but he waits until they can't possibly have, you know, well past the age, it says. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, not a city wall builder. David was the youngest, smallest son who would be a chosen king. Esther was an orphan. Gideon's army was 32,000 people, but the Lord kept sending them home, whittling it down to 300. And they were successful. They were valiant men. King Solomon was a result of an adulterous relationship and the son of a murderer. And he's known for all of his wisdom and all the wealth he accumulated. In each of these, we could look at the natural situation and say, well, they're never going to amount to anything. 
likely a loser. God has no losers if we respond to him in the right way. And that way is always the same way. Humility, surrender, submitting, and continuously leaning on him. He makes it pretty easy, really. When he has a plan, he not only calls it done, he sees it done. Then he provides everything, everything we need to accomplish as well, even for those who are the unlikely candidates. I think you probably can all think of other examples. I, I mean, think of all the movies and novels about the underdog becoming the, up, uh, the on top dog. You know, that's, that's, and it's just natural for us. We're like God. We want to see the underdog win, right? We want to see the, the one who's down and out win. And that, in that way, we're, we have God's nature. It's God's nature for us to want to see freedom and victory in every area of our lives. And we don't even deserve it. But Jesus paid for it, so it's paid for. It's already paid for. Our freedom and victory are paid for. And he glories in and gets glory uh, from the weak becoming strong in him. I've told you my story before about being born again uh, as a freshman in college. And there was an instant change in my heart. Now, I had not been big into drugs and alcohol and wasn't promiscuous and all that stuff. But I had a whole lot of anger going on. And it, it, did, you know, wasn't totally gone, but I mean, it was a huge, huge change, enough for people to notice it. And so that was in December. Then that next summer in May, I, I went home and I decided that, you know, here I'm the spiritual giant of six months. I am going to start. Uh, we called it a gospel team, a Christian music team, that would go and minister and that kind of thing. Well, I had three months, three months to do it. But anyway. Um, and this town, Rugby, North Dakota, is smaller than Red Rock. So, I mean, this, it's not a big town. And I didn't really think about it as a call, but, you know, it really was a call. Um, and we only ended up doing a few ministry services at the end, but there were supernatural results. Some that I only realized yesterday when I started thinking. I hadn't thought about this for years. It's like thinking about it and realizing some of the results of that. And some of those results I don't think I'm going to see till heaven. Um, I know that there were people who gave their lives to Jesus, heard the gospel for the first time, and some renewed their faith. And I personally had a supernatural healing in my singing voice and in my, the, in my ear so I could hear better um, in a way that I didn't recognize it, but my first voice, my voice teacher and my, the chair, chairman of the music department were like, whoa, what happened? Have you been singing this summer? And I said no, because to me singing was like, Opera! You know, that's how they sang in that college. Anyway, um, and the Lord knew that I needed, he, I was an unlikely candidate. I was 18 years old. I was an unlikely candidate for that. But it was an experience he knew I needed. He could see the end from the beginning. He knew I needed that experience in the music, for music ministry, in leadership, for all the leadership positions I've had. But he also knew those in my community who were hungering for truth and life. And we shared a little bit of that with those people and in pretty simple ways. It was very, very simple, and the Lord blessed it. But we know that the Lord looks on the heart, not on the outward appearance when he chooses his people. Well, what could he have possibly seen in Rahab, <laughs> the prostitute? He needed someone to protect the spies of Jericho and the strategy he had in mind. And somehow he knew she was willing 
These spies were covenant people with God, so they had promised protection. God was going to do everything he could to protect them. And that protection is real. So Rahab cooperated with God, basically, um, to bring all this into fruition. And as usual, her part was a small part. I always say that. The part God has to do is small compared to what he's going to do. But there is a part, isn't there? There's a part that he wants us to play in it. And her part was doing some fairly natural things. And then God added the super to the natural. He didn't ask her to write a book. He didn't ask her to make, do a concert. He asked her to do her business. Her business was to have people stay there, and that's what he asked her to do. And she could have cringed in fear and told the truth about the spies. She could have extorted them in some way. But the spies were saved. Their report was completed to Joshua. And the walls of Jericho fell. She did her part. The spies did their part. And her whole household was saved. So he uses unlikely. The second thing is our faith responds to God's call in spite of the circumstances around us. We, like I, this is the ducks in the row thing. We cannot wait for ducks to be all lined up. Ooh, I, I was thinking about ducks. Line. I just remember when we would have the first fire drill at school for the preschoolers who did not know how to get in a line. They couldn't even get in a line. So, I mean, you did spend the first two weeks just teaching how to get in a line. And they still struggled with it. And I, I know a lot of middle schoolers still struggle with getting in a line. So I know it's a real thing. Rahab didn't know the person of God, really. She knew um, that he was this God who overcame Pharaoh and did this crazy thing with the Red Sea. And she also knew that he had destroyed two kings and their entire kingdoms on the other side of the river. News gets around, doesn't it? She knew this. The uh, complete Jewish Bible says that the people of Jericho were in a state of depression. They were feeling hopeless. They'd seen all this happen. How were they, you know, in, in, in light of all of that? But could she have also known that along the way, along the path of the Israelites, were two groups of people God protected, Lot's family and Esau's family, because a promise had been made to them that they would be protected. I tell you what, our promises are yes in God. He, if he's promised to protect us, that's the absolute truth. So I, did she know, I don't know, did she know about that, that though he had protected? Probably, because word gets around. Did she know that if God and his people said something, he really followed through? I believe that she probably did. And this is what she said to the spies. This Lord your God is God in heaven and earth, and I fear this Lord of yours. The other option, her family dies. And so she saw a way to get out of a bad situation. When I was looking, when I was thinking about this, and I like to envision this, like what is happening? The walls are falling down. Maybe there was an earthquake. I don't know that part, but we just know God did it. And the chaos that must have been going on at that moment. And they didn't run out. They had to stay. They couldn't run for their lives like probably most of them did and ran right into the enemy. But I couldn't help but think about the people in Ukraine right now and what they're facing. The loss and, 
and um, all the fear. And, but here's what, this is the hope I have about that. He's got Rahabs all over Ukraine. He's got people that he's speaking to right now. Okay, hide this one over here. Bring this one this. Take this person over there. Because of the faithfulness of God. And our prayers. I mean, our prayers are hugely important right now to bring about the will of God there and to bring about safety for the believers. As believers, we have resources and inside information that goes beyond anything in the natural world. The Bible says clearly that Rahab's faith saved her by welcoming the spies. It wasn't God's faith. It wasn't the spies' faith. It was Rahab's faith. And I believe the moment she welcomed the spies was the moment her salvation was complete. Even though she hadn't seen it yet, remember? But remember how God is? Oh, look at Jericho saved. Jericho's destroyed, I mean. Jericho's destroyed, but it was still there. But God saw it completed. He sees the future. Rahab was not a typical faith person because she's lived in this idol-worshiping culture in a business that was totally rejected by God's standards and the Israelite law. She have, may have sensed she was a failure, especially when she got around those religious people. She probably felt like a failure in the eyes of many. Yet she made this covenant with the spies that saved her whole household. What she did was treasonous, punishable by death. She took a chance. She would have been killed if he found out that that was part of her faith. She understood that the God of heaven was with those spies. And she was protected in, in spite of all the, all the circumstances around her. Everyone else was going to die. And she was protected. He asked her to tie a scarlet cord in the window, which is interesting. The spies even provided that. I mean, you, God just takes care of everything, right? I mean, she didn't have to go look for a scarlet cord, a red rope, basically. It was actually not a rope, but a, a, more of a fabric. And, and it, she, took, she did it right away. She didn't take any chances on missing out on this inheritance for her family and for her household. And she may have been shaky. I'm not saying her, you know, she may have been, oh, I don't know. But we do it afraid sometimes, don't we? We just do what God asks us to do, even when we're afraid sometimes. But Hebrews identified her faith as a faith that pleased God. Rahab did something. And faith requires action. I've talked about it before. Thinking about doing something isn't enough where faith is concerned. That's dead faith. Sitting in a church that preaches faith isn't faith. Faith requires action. And if you don't know where to start with your faith and action and finding where can, what can I do, what can I do, believe me, there's something for you to do. Um, we can give you ideas, but it's always best to hear that from God himself, from the Lord. But what stirrings do you get from the inside that sound like the goodness of God in action. He calls me out on my inaction. He, he does, and I'm sure he does the same for you. Um, but listen to those promptings. It might be something you've not really wholeheartedly considered in the past. The third thing is, 
The result of obedient faith in God is freedom and victory. So he calls unlikely people. He calls us um, because he sees the end from the beginning, but he and he calls us to faith uh, that must respond. And uh, Rahab began that process by welcoming the spies. But, you know, she took a lot of other steps, too, putting the cord out, talking to the people, and telling her family to be somewhere. I mean, there were just a lot of steps of faith. It wasn't just one thing that she did, did but she barely knew this God. And, I, I mean, I barely knew God when I started out. I originally thought these ideas I had were, were my own ideas. But then, well, then you find out that, no, they're, they're from God. Um, I just knew that these were, had the goodness, the ideas were, had the goodness of God in them. I wanted the people in my hometown to know Jesus, this Jesus who had saved me. Your call might be to support the local church and ministries, or you may have a call to serve in other countries, but you do it with all your heart, you do something. The very cool thing about Rahab, there's a lot of cool things about her, but her whole family was saved, that means a legacy she had there. Um... But when we do respond to the call to active faith, again, he provides everything we need, and we and our families get the blessings. He asks us for obedience, and when we obey, there's all kinds of promises associated with that. When we know truth, we find freedom. I believe Rahab started experiencing that freedom the moment the spies told her the promise. Like, hey, I got a big Christmas present for you. You know, like, oh, I'm enjoying this thought. I'm enjoying this. I'm th I mean, I think that's when, when she started to taste freedom. They'd been in bondage. They'd been locked in and, they, you know, all kinds of things going on there. But she started experiencing that freedom from the moment the spies told her their promise. But she had to wait. But she had it in her heart. She could have given up. She could have removed that cord and said, this is crazy. But somehow she knew this God could be trusted. This decision changed her life. She was welcomed into the family of God. She had an entirely new life in the God culture. She began to hear about this God who loved her and who had promised her the blessings of Abraham. That's all part of it. She was free to be who God created her to be. She put her faith in the scarlet cord to save her life. But more than that, she put her faith in a pharaoh-defeating, kingdom-moving, Red Sea-parting God who was the God of the promise. In the same way, we put our faith in the red blood of Jesus to protect us, to heal us, to save us, to redeem us, to restore us, to renew us, and protect us. But one more blessing. You may not know this. Rahab is in the ancestral line of Jesus. Matthew 1, if you want to read it. There's her name written one time, along with many others, but it is significant. She was unlikely in many ways, yet the Lord saw her in from the beginning and as one of great significance. She helped Joshua get that. This was Joshua's, by the way, this was Joshua's first victory, first big battle. Moses had just died, basically. And she helped lead, get those millions of people across the river. It was glorious. 
And then there's the legacy of being an ancestor of Jesus. That's a, that's a victory as far as I'm concerned. So this obedience, this faith, it does bring those things that God promises of victory and blessing and benefits when we are obedient. Um, okay, in closing. Our Lord's looking for more unlikelies. I'm sure the last thing Rahab thought was that this mighty God was going to use her. The Lord sees the end from the beginning, so we're all qualified. Our current situation does not dictate the future. Our less than stellar past. We don't have to worry about that. There's no losers if we respond in the right way. Remember what that is? Humility, surrender, submitting, and continuously leaning on him. Secondly, he's looking for people who will live by faith, who are willing to go out on a limb for him and be part of something amazing. Rahab could have chosen a life of fear and died with her people, but she chose faith in God. Over six years ago, something amazing started in Red Rock. A group, a group of people took steps of faith when it looked unlikely. <laughs> I remember the first time I came here, I was like, our kids used to live in Sacramento where it was pretty. It was green and nice, and this is the desert. But it grows on you. Now we get to see, get to see a part of God changing lives every day here. He's looking for those who will go and tell, teach, pray, love, feed, clothe, all of those things for the lost and dying. He's asking you to be a greater part of something amazing here. And lastly, maybe you've never really made a decision to serve Jesus, to turn away from a previous life without God, to live a life rich in him and his promises. Today is the day. Today you can make a choice that will change your life and give you new purpose, new destiny, maybe a new legacy for your family, one that involves blessing others and being blessed yourself. You pray a simple prayer of faith. He hears and answers and exchanges your old life for a new one. For your brokenness, he gives you richness. For your grief, joy. When Rahab welcomed the spies, she gave up her old life. And oh, what a glorious one she gained. Father, we thank you for all of the mercies that Rahab experienced. We're thankful that you do that. You did that for her. And that we're going to see her in heaven, and I'm already decided I'm going to talk to her. I'm going to talk to her, Lord, about what she saw, what she felt, how she began to know you, how she knew she could trust you. But Lord, I know it's not just for Rahab. have for us blessings and a life of faith to live. So I ask you, Father, to help
help us recognize you in a new way, to see you as the God who protects, to see you as the God who helps, to see you as the God who gives us purpose and destiny and a plan for our lives, Lord, and know fully that we can trust you in spite of all the circumstances around us. We can trust you, Lord. Father, to help us examine our hearts. Jesus' name.